Monitoring. Why do we monitor? All right, cool. Back again. Uh, so now we'll continue with Firestone, the second half or around that, uh, getting into racism. So what, how Firestone conceptualized racism, why, why it exists, and you know how it can be challenged or how it can be undone. So for her, she says that racism is sexism extended. That is sexism serves as the root for this problem which i think for some <laughs> some critical race scholars might pose some problems mm -hmm. uh because a lot of black men are uh discriminated against as well but firestone does give us a little bit of a solution to that problem or does give us um a way to think about that within the for those that listen to the first part because why would you listen to this one if you didn't listen? To it's like I'm really, I'm really curious about the second uh, half of the Firestone. second half of Firestone, yeah. <laughs> the, the first half, though, uh, <laughs> um, how this has to do with the psychoanalytic paradigm, or how the Freudian landscape does, in a sense, set the stage for racism, as Firestone understood it in the early '70s or late '60s. Um, yeah, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll wade into this question. Um, yes, I mean it, it is a uh, analysis of uh, a race that I've definitely not encountered before um, in uh, such a uh, psychoanalytic manner, but. I think that she, uh, that Firestone is uh, correct in identifying like a, a sexual dimension to the issue. Largely in the way that uh, black sexu sexuality is um, either uh, fetishized or uh, misrepresented in America, um, especially how uh, uh, Bell Hooks picks up on this, especially in a discussion of of black womanhood and its relation to the the feminist movement in America, of how uh, even when the fem early feminist movement, uh, when they were campaigning for the vote. Um, teamed up with um, uh, black movements for the vote, um, how uh, the category of black womanhood was um, overlooked or ignored. So there is a definite uh, intersectional hierarchy uh, that is established between white man, white woman, black man, black woman. Um, and she sees the existence of uh, racialized um, underclass in America as an extension of this uh, inverted commas naturalized class system of men versus women, uh, and also uh, men uh, and the, the child. Um, so she perceives. Um, uh, uh, 
black men in the American society as the uh, young bastard brother of the legitimate son in America and um, also how like uh, woman uh, white woman and black woman are um, almost like uh, reified to this system of like a sexual exchange um, and so she describes how uh, the all-American family and by this phrase I uh, interpret her saying the white American family is based on the um, one not necessarily not not necessarily based upon but dependent on the uh, what she calls the black ghetto whorehouse so she sees this um, perpetuation of white sexist hegemony uh, as predicated on the uh, black underclass and more specifically on the black sexual underclass and by that I mean like uh, uh, black women who were uh, essentially uh, pimped out to uh, uh, white men who were looking for something more uh, exotic but who also like uh, uh, demonized black male sexuality as a threat to um, uh, normalcy within their own like a uh, hierarchy of sexual dominance um, that's the sense that I get, get from this chapter but as we've discussed before there is this uh, problematic infantilization of uh, uh, black people within the hierarchy and it is a question of trying to pass out whether it is a uh, description of race relations in America at the time which uh, arguably that's what Firestone's trying to do well not trying to do but like she's trying to create the most accurate description of race relations in America at the time or whether it is uh, a limitation of her own analysis and that she gets trapped in like a, a paradigm of thinking about race that might not be entirely uh, beneficial for emancipatory projects. Right. And one way that we can think about that is how she um, l suggests that the race relations within, I would assume, only the United States at this time, just because I'm, we're going to put a limit on this. Um, she likens it to a family where the white man is the father, the white woman is the mother, and black people are the children the black man is the son and the black woman is the daughter so to this i wonder given her critique of freud why she has to suggest that there is like a family dynamic here is it because the psychoanalytic dream or the psychoanalytic framework or the oedipus complex has taken over and that we must because we are forced to look at these things in these terms or is it because she sees a useful way to evaluate these um i guess these conditions through this uh, lens, but at the same time, you wonder, or at least I wonder, to what extent it is, it does point to limits, where she uses various pretty um, charged terms like pimp and whore yeah. to describe like uh, black men and, and black women, to which I'm, I question, I'm like, okay, how much of this is true and how much of this is the idea 
of black people at the time that was like prominent mm-hmm. and that she was just feeding off of mm-hmm. where it wasn't just it wasn't like the you know the real quote-unquote uh condition of blackness at the time given the various you know the black power movement or anything like that where people were saying like no fuck this they weren't just simply like falling into these roles in such a simple way as i think maybe firestone was laying them out uh so that's a problem i have where i feel like she's almost too simple yeah saying like this this is who they are in this uh and I think that, that what that inadvertently does is pay credence to the power of the Oedipus complex or mm-hmm. pays credence to the power of the psychoanalytic paradigm to make these things real, mm-hmm. which is almost like a nod to it, to which, you know, psychoanalysis would say, you're going to, okay, fine, you're going to critique me, but you, you just said that I'm pretty effective. Mm-hmm. I've pretty much changed the entire landscape of, you know, the whole way you understand the world. Uh, so, yeah, that's my, mm-hmm. that's my critique of it. So, but... As far as things good, uh, I think that it does, and like you said, this isn't a critique I've, I've really been become familiar with, which isn't to say that I'm not familiar with various uh, critical race critiques that have mm-hmm. taken psychoanalysis as a means to uh, evaluate various race relations, especially the construction of stereotypes and things like that mm-hmm. through psychoanalytic lens, lenses, you know, do exist. Like, homie Baba taps into this. This is just one example. Uh, so I think that she is really onto something when she's describing a situation because it's a situation that has been affected by various, you know, theoretical circumstances that, you know, have come through the university that have come through other institutions that have pushed this psychoanalytic narrative. So I think that she is doing a very good job at drawing attention to how we shouldn't just disavow this. We should in many ways evaluate the extent to which it has an effect on our daily lives mm-hmm. um, yeah that's yeah and I think she's also uh, uh, correct in suggesting that the categories of masculinity and femininity means uh, different things if you add um, the reality of race relations I guess um, if, if that's another like a, a um, framework that you had on top of the other framework um, it, it's not so simple as saying that uh, men and women are uh, forced into these different roles within the uh, sex class system no matter what kind of race they are um, because the race that they uh, but, 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 but because in America, like at the time, white and black meant something much more like a, a, a substantial in the sense of like social, economic conditions and like cultural bifurcation and also just how how like white people and black people are related to, to uh, one another and the effect that that had on like uh, how. A white person, white man would see masculinity. How a black person would see masculinity, and vice versa with uh, femininity. Um, so I think it's it, 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 it can be seen as one of those uh, sort of uh, early intersectional 
analyses of like uh, the, the, the the social situation right um, but I mean it, it, it does have limits because um, in the sense of stereotypes because like uh, at the time like people were directed towards stereotypes to identify with and this is how <coughs> She discusses this more in like the section on love and romance about the interpretive framework that we use to understand and exist in the world. Like if, if a particular phenomenon or experience doesn't fit that framework, then it must be denied or excluded. Um, so people try to make sure that their existence fits the framework as much as possible. So. It, it's conceivable that she's critiquing the framework rather than the uh, existence that it purports to map onto. Yeah, yeah. But another okay, another thing that I had a little bit of trouble with with it was that when she was saying that when white women were racist, it was simply because they were kind of embodying the 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 male voice, like the mm -hmm. the white man. Uh, to which I think. It, Okay, there's some validity to that. But at the same time, I think it's very possible that white women can just be racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, without saying, trying to uh, attribute it to this kind of originary point of, mm -hmm. you know, the white man. Mm -hmm. uh, which isn't to say that, obviously, the white man doesn't have certain uh, power in dictating these things. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to... Um, I wouldn't want to remove the white woman from certain... You know, well, from, from from culpability, yeah, yeah. That's the right. Word. Well, I mean, I, I I think the this is something that she gets into about like uh, romanticism. There's a certain level of power that can be wielded by those who uh, try their best to adapt to the sex class system, um, and there are certain like uh, positions or like a. Uh, the tendencies that people can use to um, become more powerful, I guess. I mean, it, it, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, that. I'm trying to figure out if the, if this example would work, but within a sex class system, the femme fatale, as a stereotype or as like a like a figure, does seem powerful, right? So I've, I've, I wonder whether your critique about like a, a white woman having their own racism is if that's appearance of power that isn't necessarily powerful within yeah. the general scheme of things um, or if there are ways to express or absorb power within uh, as a subordinate term within like a hierarchy yeah <clears throat> because I mean I'm trying to stick to the text as much as possible but like she does talk about Uncle Tomism and how uh, uh, how people can uh, ascend to a position of authority or influence within like a racist paradigm yet still seem like a 
like their wielding authority, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but, 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 but it's just, I mean, this is a. I mean, because she's. I mean, uh, 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 let's slip into Leah Clark a little. But like, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is a meta narrative of power. Like everything yeah. can be explained by the Oedipus complex for yeah. uh, uh, Firestone, and unless you're at the very top of, well, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, the people who are at the top of the Oedipus complex are actually quite deprived of the fullness of life. Yeah. Yeah. Who would say that, though? Because I agree. It's just like those people that are at the top of the, you know, that have the most capital are pretty... Are, are well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're having a great old time. But, like, at the same time, having, like, uh, a lot of financial security and being able to tell people what to do and having people respect you... Like that does have a level of existential impoverishment to it. Like she talks, we'll get into this when she talks about love. But love is all about expressing mutual vulnerability to another person. Yeah, and being yeah. at the top of the hierarchy means that you're precluded from any expression of higher vulnerability at all. Right. So. Okay, so this gets into her, like, what, what does it mean to be human? Or what it, what would it mean then to be a, which I think will bridge our move into the, that chapter on love. Um, which is my favorite section. I, w- I will be honest about that. Good. Yeah. But, okay, th- and that you, I think you really stumbled onto something. So what would this kind of ideal human being look like? So we're, we're going to get into it a little later on with, you know, what the ideal kind of, social situation would look like but when we're dealing with a specific human as you said there's a pretty specific criterion that she will come to lay out that we're, we're going to get into um that they must be able to show some degree of vulnerability mm-hmm. so those people on top that don't have that that, that don't have any need to show that and you know why would they because <laughs> see you know, if you have everything like anyone who challenges you can just fuck off like they mm-hmm. you know no reason to be here um are those people then less than human and i don't mean this as some kind of like uh humanist uh, yeah, yeah. critique like but but for her are those people actually worse off because it seems to me that to which she'd <laughs> uh, say yeah. like then what's the point of <clears throat> throwing they their lives suck like let them keep living that life yeah. if that makes sense uh well, that's largely because, like, the people who are living below them are living not only impoverished emotional lives, but also impoverished economic, social, and political right. so lives. It's, it's the both, it's the dualism uh, there. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the, the, the need for more power is, like, a pathological urge. Like, what, what, why on earth do you want to dominate people you want to dominate people because you want to make your daddy happy uh, if we're taking like the Oedipus complex is like an overarching theory of like the human desire for power um, and it is the sort of fundamentally 
repressive to the person who is trying to get as much power as possible and oppressive to the people who are deprived of the ability to determine their lives autonomously um, without trying to seek the comfort of cultural for forms that ultimately we will fail because they're contingent and historical. Um, so, I mean, for, yeah, for, for, for Firestone is like, well, I mean, we're all kind of fucked. I mean, like, the, 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 the men who are on top feel like they're living fulfilling lives, and to a certain extent within the cult, current culture and society that we have, yeah, sure, but it's like, at what cost? Like, yeah. You're, you're depriving yourself of so much, and you're depriving others of so much more. So how does that figure in with love? Like, in love, her discussion of love, does she give us her her kind of, like, ontological mapping of what it means to be... Well, I... Uh, like a human. <laughs> well, okay, so... Um, what I turn to is that love is um, an expression of... Uh, okay, so she starts off by saying that love is not altruistic at all. Uh, yep. So she just, like, discards that... Um, because it's the act of absorbing of another one or another into yourself. Well, but, yeah, but, yeah, but it's also a kind of mutual absorption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there is, there is no sense of like, oh, I'm going to take you over because that's dominance. Uh, what love is, is the mutual expression of mutual vulnerability between two partners who um, are equal because we all recognize that we are sort of lacking something and we uh, try to fulfill that with our relationships to other people to, I mean, it, 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 it's the only reason that we do anything at all, really, uh, like our ultimate motivation is lack, but this ends up like uh, building into expressions of love, of where you open yourself um, up to the other to experience this uh, exchange of uh, selves. Um, which I mean, it, 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 it is the only you know definition of uh, love that matters. But um, she, she says that under the sex class system, uh, love has become distorted because it uh, means that either uh, women are uh, seen as a kind of um, emotional ballast for uh, men. So men can go on doing the important stuff of creating culture or engaging in politics uh, while pretty much sucking up the emotional energy of women. Um, and with this dominance, there is not necessarily an expression of like the mutual vulnerability that's pretty much the bedrock of love itself. Um, because it, it's not a mutual opening up to one another. It is uh, one person opening themselves up to be uh, assimilated by someone else. Yeah, and uh, then that Or subordinated to someone else. That person, i.e. the man, mm -hmm. Firestone, using that woman 
and as you said, uh, using her as um, the way by which he can fulfill himself in other more in other ways that are appreciated by the social paradigm that will give him a certain degree of prestige, kind of mm-hmm. symbolic value that will make him feel, you know, elevated in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all the more effective because at the same time, we are in a system where women are told the exact same thing, yeah. but by their being absorbed. Where women are told, it's your fucking virtue by being, you know, mm-hmm. a housewife that'll do X, Y, and Z chores, raise the children, you know, do these things. And then they internalize that, and then that becomes their, you know, salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why it's all the more effective of a system, which is what, you know, I think Firestone is really getting at when she's taking these things on, is trying to get underneath all that crap to say that, you know, what is going on here is not love proper as being the mutual absorption mm-hmm. uh, between two people that would signal a kind of dual autonomy where you have two people that are autonomous beings. Rather, you have one person that can do whatever they want in this world and one person who's told that they do X, Y, and Z things and they're going to reach you know their own salvation through that uh, uh, I, I, and she's not necessarily saying that under the current sex class system that uh, women are the only people who are capable of uh, love yeah. at all yeah, yeah. because she does talk about how women are not able to love gratuitously because they can only really love for um, emotional security and this links to like the the what she calls the sex privatization of woman, uh, where their value is uh, judged in relation to their emotional, sexual, romantic offerings to men. Um, uh, she, she also has to love for an emotional identity, which, uh, unlike uh, men under the sex class system, which she can seek through work and recognition, uh, she has to uh, identify through her own relationship to a man uh, as a wife or as a lover or as uh, a mother uh, or any other categories that fall under this um, relationship. Um, and then the economic uh, class security that she can gain through um, her ability to love, which, I mean... At the time she was uh, writing, it would be better to economically to be married to someone else um, as their subordinate rather than you know be independent. Which she refused. She, she. I don't think she was married, was she? No, no, no. Yeah, she, uh, she exactly. Yeah, uh, uh, most definitely. But the- um, I have, and I think that there is an element of uh, I mean not only an element but like a, a whole uh, massive dose of social pressure that enforces all of those three uh, elements uh, for you are you are seen as an incomplete woman if you don't f- hook a man you don't have the security of her uh identity that you might have if you were in a long-term relationship or in a committed relationship yeah uh, past you you know your 30s yeah 
I think that sort of social pressure still persists. So what, okay, how does that have to relate to romance then? Because these two chapters were pretty well intertwined in that um, oh, yeah. romance kind of takes takes up in a world where <clears throat> women were starting to get, you know, out of control, right? There was mm-hmm. a threat that women were going to finally get away from their quote-unquote natural side mm-hmm. and then would, you know, free themselves. So the system then introduced to them this idea of romance, mm-hmm. which comes out in three forms, right? And one of which you've already mentioned, sex privatization, mm-hmm. but we also have eroticism mm-hmm. and beauty ideal. So eroticism being the displacement of other social slash affection needs onto sex. Mm-hmm. So seeing through sex, you know, a kind of emancipatory potential. Sex privatization, sexuality in her words becomes synonymous with her individuality. Aye. Uh, so which inhibits development of a kind of a real character. Mm-hmm. And then third, beauty ideal, women too focused on appearances for Firestone. Mm-hmm. So these things kind of take up, I think, where this this um, discussion of love, in that it we see what happens on the surface mm-hmm. with with romance. We see what uh, is going on with supposedly women in the day to day, according to Firestone. Uh, these these kinds of these ways that the system have the system has. Uh, ameliorated the negative effects of women's liberation through these these three different uh, possibilities. That is mm-hmm. eroticism, sex privatization, and the beauty ideal that are big distractions for Firestone, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I find... I mean, the, the, I, I think you've really outlined that uh, chapter really well, um, except for the end of it, where she talks about how... Uh, the conditions of modern media have transformed eroticism into erotomania. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And how our, I mean, this is very bore, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, our, our, the way that we live our lives is performed through an interpretive framework that means that uh, we confuse people with images. Like she, like she has this whole discussion of how uh, the sexual relationship under conditions of modern media uh, mean that boy image meets woman image that then form family image. Yeah, yeah. So if, if, if uh, these uh, tools of male power as a romanticism have like uh, sunk into like uh, our cultural practices so much that it's almost inescapable. Yeah. Uh, you you have to try to detach oneself from media as such or culture as such uh, in order to develop this kind of independence to realize like the superficiality of those forms or like the emptiness of those forms. So it's I mean it's the only part of the book where she really like considers like what television does, what book... Well, actually, no, she talks about this in male culture as well. But uh, this is where the effects of, like, uh, television and books and magazines on the mentalities of people really uh, uh, shine through for her. Um, because there are, they are different ways to sell romanticism to people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then in many ways, women get blamed for that, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, if it, what, uh, no, you you go on. Yeah, yeah. So even men that are like, oh well, you know, what is the, you know, what weight do you have as like a, a revolutionary base when like you're interested in the beauty ideal or you're interested in, but like one one thing that I hear even to this day, right? Like, oh well, y- how can you be a feminist if you wear like makeup? Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, oh, you're going against feminist principles or something. Well, I've, 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 I, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's only a skip and a jump before you get to rape culture, really. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, like she, you was, deserve, she, was, yeah. she was asking for it because she was wearing, uh, like, a, a dress that showed her ankles. I mean, that's, like... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an element of it. And it's like, well... The reason that people end up doing it, and the way that, that I mean, this is this is a very complicated. This is a this is almost a minefield to get into, but um, <laughs> it's like well, we, 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 the reason that those sorts of clothing are perceived as like come-ons are because we live in a very male-defined culture and all that, and a yeah, rape culture. The, the, these things have no bearing otherwise. I, 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 and they can't be divorced from that. I mean, they, yeah. they, they can't be made... Uh, um, well, I mean, it's, it's the... One thing I would, I would want to stress about, like, the issue of short skirts is that it's the interpretive framework that's put upon that that emphasizes uh, genital sex, emphasizes male dominance yeah, over yeah. female genitalia. Yeah. Um, that then leads to rape culture rather than the, uh, the, the choice to wear those articles of clothing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is what Firestone is trying to attack in the chapters on love and the culture of romance. Um, in, in how, like, Woman, uh, like uh, conceptualized, is nothing more than sexual objects, and how they are uh, almost hoodwinked into uh, accepting their own oppression. I guess because I mean, at the end of the, I think it's at the end of the culture of romance section where she's like, no one wants to get rid of eroticism. Yeah, like that, that's not the aim of radical feminism. Like. Sex is fun. Like uh, eroticism is, you know, erotic, um, <laughs> to, for a lack of a better word. Uh, but if, if, if it's the way that it gets sort of wrapped up in the power context of the sex class system that yeah. makes it. Yeah. Uh, that mean, means that it's linked to much wider socio-political issues, especially the oppression of women by men. Yeah, um, but I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, there is. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things with radical feminist texts. It's just that they envision like a society that's so radically transformed that it becomes very difficult to discuss it in within the terms of the current system because we're yeah. still living within the system that Firestone is critiquing. Yeah. Um, so 
their uh, certain like uh, uh, as like one of our commenters on the Illich video says of like the intellectual uh, gymnastics that we have to perform to try and figure out what this is because it is like a very complicated issue because we just are never provided with the right grammar or the right vocab for this sort of stuff because it's deliberately different from everything that we have been raised in everything that we uh, no, I mean we 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 are both feminists. I'd hope I remember. Mean, like, yes. I don't want to like oust yes. myself as a feminist with a, like a MRA <laughs> no. person in the room. No, <laughs> I'm not. But like, even when you're a feminist, like reading Firestone, it's like okay, the theory. There was a, a a language here that doesn't actually make sense to people who are feminists, I guess. To a certain extent, I mean, like, of course, it makes sense as like a as a feminist project, but it is difficult to talk to someone else about this in a way that's like mutually comprehensible without just sort of reading Firestone word for word, you know. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, so then, okay, to what extent then does is this influenced by male culture? How the hell does male culture figure into this to well, push us into the next uh, uh, men, section here? Men should stay away from culture for a while. Um, <laughs> what what culture? What what, what, do, what do they offer? John Wick movies are not culture. Even though I love them. <laughs> Can't wait to see the third one. Go Raptors. Uh, uh, the, Natalie's been trying to persuade me to go see <laughs> John Wick 3 and I was like, I, I will never see that movie. I, I'm looking forward to it. On the, okay. on the record. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, let it be on the record that I have not even seen the first two. I am an uncultured um, swine. <laughs> I'm, I am um, ashamed of it, though. Well, I mean, it, it links to like a discussion of love, how uh, men were able to do culture. I mean, I don't know what the right like verb is for culture. <laughs> they, they are culturing. Um, whereas sort of woman stayed home to be the muse or to be like the uh, domestic support for their uh, creative energies. Well, what Firestone says is that they only women only created quote unquote inauthentic art. That art that wasn't like you know not, it's not real. Well, it, in the sense that it was art defined against male standards. Yeah, for, exactly. uh, Firestone. So at best, it would be considered derivative, a kind of simulacrum of. Yeah, well, because how else would you be able to like uh, become part of an art scene that was dominated by men? Yeah, you're either the artist's lover or the artist's groupie, I guess. Um, uh, under the sex class system. Yeah. Um, because I mean, for, for, for Firestone, all all culture is is defined by the men that, that produce it, and and she just sees some uh, possibilities in uh, feminist art and uh, feminist criticism. She gets to that at the end of the uh, chapter on uh, culture, when she's outlining different types of. Um, uh, culture or art um, and to, to a sense in a sense it is her outlining of different types of art is kind of dialectical mm. Mm. okay I'm curious well, why do you say that 
Because I okay um, to lay it out. So she says that there. Were, I think there are four, if I have it right. Yeah, male protest art, male angle individually and directionist mentality from the female art. All right, so yeah, first one, male protest art. So that's the art that glorifies the male reality. Yes, but in reaction to uh, females gaining uh, ascendancy, not ascendancy, but uh, the threat of females becoming detached from their biology and then moving towards liberation. Yeah. Uh, and there's the male angle uh, that tries to identify uh, 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 reality. It doesn't realize that the reality it perceives is a male reality and not all of reality. Yeah. And there's androgynous mentality uh, where there is a kind of uh, uh, recognition of both realities yet um, the male reality is still predominant because the female reality is unacknowledged and then there's the female art um, which is trying to incorporate the neglected half of human experience into the body of culture to create an all-encompassing all culture which she gets into in the dialectic of cultural history between right. the aesthetic and the technological modes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think we... I don't know how we could talk about one without talking about the other. So, I, w I want to go back to that other thing where you said it was dialectical. What did you mean by that? Yeah, <laughs> by, by, I only mean that in like a savage or talk. <laughs> okay. That's bad in dialectics. Um, I mean it in the way of... Um, Both male protest art and uh, no, I don't know. I mean, uh, largely in the way that female art, as Firestone describes it in the final pages of the uh, uh, male culture section, are about how. Uh, female art responds to male art and male culture and how it leads towards the dissolution of not only male culture but the categories of culture itself yeah um, so that's I mean because my conception of dialectics is that there is something put forward there is something antithetical and then the resolution is not only the um, resolution of those uh, uh, two concepts, concepts, but the annihilation of the categories that make those concepts possible that yep. leads to a, a sublation to something else. Yeah. So um, in the final section of the male culture chapter, I see female art as the antithesis that's leading towards um, the dissolution of the categories of culture that Firestone in the chapter on the dialectics of cultural history discusses as uh, the aesthetic and technological mode yeah. and how the uh, categories of male culture and female culture have been bifurcated and how the, the annihilation slash resolution slash sublation of those categories leads to 
a movement of the dialectic. All right, yeah. So, okay, so we have these two modes then, and this is putting us into the next section here, because uh, I, I, I can't address that without addressing these two modes. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, not necessary. So there's the aesthetic, which is often associated, if not always, with women, and then the mm -hmm. technical with men. So the aesthetic being, I got I guess the what Firestone calls the ideal. No, so yeah. it's what civilizations have strived for. That thing that can't possibly exist, but that we can only dream of. Whereas the technical is what she calls the pragmatic, uh, very much located within the male sphere, being, you know, the means by which we can attain that ideal, but never actually get there. It's a, it's an, it's an impossibility that is always um, put. Um, <clears throat> extended as our pragmatic capacities increase. So, to give an example, at one time the idea of cell phones would have been ludicrous as a reality, would have been out of this world. Whereas now, these have become, from their being rendered uh, pragmatic, being part of our daily lives, they have gone from the ideal if anyone ever did idealize these things or imagine well, I mean, these we, things. We, uh, or I, helicopters. I would suggest, like, uh, messages from ghosts. Or <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's essentially what communication yeah. via cell phones is. You're communicating with someone else's ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, who the hell is that guy? That uh, J John Peters? The fucking communications, whatever. This guy argues something similar. It's except he's talking about angels. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but you're right. you're right on the money in that, um, or we can think of Arthur C. Clarke when he says something like, "Technology, uh, yeah. as it gets to a certain point, is indistinguishable from magic. It's just it becomes the ideal, which then, you know, a new a new ideal must you know take its place. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're dealing with these two modes essentially, and. I get the impression, well, I, I don't get the impression. I think Firestone is saying that um, the aesthetic mode, that one often most attributed to women, is at risk of being taken over by the technical mode, being, you know, usurped to some extent. Um, but with, okay, and <laughs> so if we have these two modes working in tandem, and cr cr I want you, I'm, okay, I'm going to ask you this. Do they work together to form culture like do they need to be in kind okay. of harmony to make culture exist well this is where she uh, this is where it gets complicated because like she's <laughs> yeah exactly this is where it gets complicated it's been complicated um but she's talking about she's drawing on cp snow's to cultures lectures uh, where he discusses the big gulf between um, like the humanities and the sciences so uh, this is when specialization is really taking off and the uh, humanities and the sciences becoming mutually incomprehensible to one another or or are forming two entirely different worldviews so in a sense, they are forming two different cultures, but ultimately they are forming two separate sides of the male culture in general. And I, I don't think she'd say that, well, 
Let me rephrase that. From what I get out of the book, the technological mode isn't threatening to overtake the aesthetic mode. What she's saying is that the aesthetic mode and the technological mode are going into their own dead ends. Um, the technological mode, like people who are engaged in a purely theoretical science or like a, a research science, aren't able to perceive how their discoveries or their uh, findings links to human life in general. And so they become, you know, nerds, I guess, <laughs> uh, who are like uh, uh, unable to see the greater ramifications of their work. And um, for the aesthetic mode, it gets like diverted into forms of modernist art. Yeah. So Firestone. Yeah. And so for her, she's like, you either become an aristocrat or a bohemian. You become someone who thinks that you can only produce art for art's sake, or um, you can only produce art if you're like sort of doing a dropout lifestyle against society. Um, that will never actually change like human society as such or human culture as such. Um, so she thinks that um, both modes, if they're pursued exclusively for their own purposes, um, don't do much than merely like a, you know, provide interesting avenues for male culture. What they need to do is become uh, integrated, and then that's the precondition for um, uh, revolution. Uh, for cultural revolution, and it, because for her, the definition of culture truly is the idea to conceive the ideal within the possible. So you can't have this detachment of the yes, you can't have this separation of the aesthetic, which strives after the ideal, and the technological, which tries to accomplish the possible. Um, and there are elements of the technological within the aesthetic mode and elements of the aesthetic within the technological mode because this whole separation of the humanities, of the arts and humanities and of sciences is entirely artificial. Yeah. Um, and, it become, uh, yeah. and it comes out of... I said, yeah, it sounds kind of simplistic to say this, but it comes out of capitalism, really. Right, yeah. Um, and the... Uh, fucked up things that it does. I don't know, I need to explain myself there. <laughs> but the specialization comes out of how... Um, uh, different forms of knowledge need to be like uh, capitalized and uh, and valued and integrated into a system that transforms la labor power into the commodity form. I mean, that's like a very brief argument of how like specialization happens, but this is also how specialization has affected affected the whole sphere of human knowledge and culture as such. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So with these two poles, and and how we were talking about her general project a little bit earlier, she was saying that, and this I think this will kind of move us into the next chapter as well. Um, getting beyond biology seems to be a project reserved for the technical side. That is, mm-hmm. what you know, scientific developments do we have at our disposal? Or we <laughs> do women have at their disposal to emancipate themselves from their biology? Mm-hmm. So, do you see an appreciation for either the technical or the aesthetic for Firestone? I see a frustration <laughs> with Firestone because. For her, it's not an either-or situation. It's not like, oh, I will go with the aesthetic or I'll go with the technological. Yeah, yeah. The whole problem is that we have this divide of the yeah. aesthetic and the technological. And not only that, but we have this notion of culture itself. For her, she's like, why do we have this like separate thing that we call culture? It's just right. Yeah. everything. Or it's, it, 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 I mean, it doesn't make sense as a category. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, the, I reckon that would be uh, Firestone's response with her whole, like, dialectical debate. These ideas are divided, I guess. Right. And, okay, even when we're dealing with a specific plane, that is technology, and again, more in the, second, the next chapter, but... Uh, she says that technology is not in and of itself good. It's not like we should just champion mm-hmm. what technology has to offer. It's only if it's used in a proper way. Yeah, yeah. Only if it has, you know, is mobilized with certain ends in mind can it be considered to be uh, a benevolent thing. To which I ask, can technology, in fact, be you know, give us this potential? Or is technology destined to, you know, drive us to that cataclysm, to that apocalypse? Because, and again, this is really pushing toward the end of the book, but when she says that technology is going to give us the uh, possibility for automation Mm -hmm. that will liberate us from having to work, um, is she Uh. just speaking like pie in the sky? Like, or... You know, is there in fact something to be said about technology? Well, I mean, she, she's thinking in the seventies <laughs> um, to a certain extent, it, and this is before like uh, capital really responded to the reality of automation. The way that, that we, I mean, there's just a big shift from industrialism to post-industrialism, and how. Uh, capital was able to like uh, oh, this is like a vulgar modern term but like monetize uh, professions that weren't previously monetized or create professions that uh, weren't necessary in the past yeah um, so this is written in a time of transition where automation really didn't mean the possibility for uh, economic liberation, um, yeah. yeah, rather yeah. than the kind of 
I don't know. I mean, I, 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 to, to a certain extent, we like it, uh, tarrying with uh, counterfactuals at this point. But I, I, I think history could have gone uh, a, a different way at that particular point when it comes to the issue of automation. I don't think we would have had the same sort of technological or political or social arrangement we have today um, but maybe we would and maybe you know it's not necessarily a bad thing but at the same time it, 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 her analysis is very definitely limited to America yeah, well, um, and I was mentioning earlier how it would be interesting to bring in other social reproduction theorists like uh, Silvio Federici, yeah, and others who talk about the relationship of the West to the third world and how femininity and reproduction and um, biology comes into that. Um, because there isn't a I mean I don't think there's a point in the book where she talks about any other country than America no that yeah because it'd be really difficult to right because it as soon as she set herself up to talk about things in terms of the psychoanalytic paradigm like she was obviously constricting herself epistemically like she had to stick with a certain framework mm-hmm. um, and one example of that and this is you know, within that, uh, the feminism and ecology chapter, when she says that pregnancy is barbaric, like that's a really radical statement, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that is like a shared sentiment like across the globe. I think Mm -hmm. for some cultures, you know, if we were to go outside of our own, there are some, but even within our own culture, uh, there are some, you know, women that don't share that sentiment Mm -hmm. and i know firestone is saying like yeah it's absolutely fine to want to get pregnant the problem is that you know everyone seems to want to do it and that's the problem uh to which i want to say that there's absolutely nothing wrong with women that want to do that Mm -hmm. that want that to be part of their lives or want child rearing to be part of their lives uh so i think that one of the really uh, poignant arguments that she is making is not like totally disavowing any of these possibilities like and like you said before like there's nothing wrong with the erotic or eroticism like there's nothing wrong with women embracing the quote-unquote aesthetic like do whatever you want really but the point is that we live in a world where you can do whatever you want where you know the old marxist dick marx's old dictum like you know man man course it's always man wake up in the morning and you know do this x y and z and fish in the uh, morning and hunt in the afternoon and then philosophize in the evening or something like the jamaican man that he's so (laughs) infatuated with or something whatever the example is i I probably fucked it up but it's something like that yeah you did but uh, (laughs) i will forgive you What is it? Do you remember? It's um, you uh, uh, fish in the morning. I uh, got that right. in the afternoon, oh, and you uh, before you engage in literary criticism in the evening. Ah, oh, that's it. That's it. Um, right. So the idea is that none of these 
I think the ideal situation is not that any of these things would go away. That is, we wouldn't see the technical go away because that is what it would be necessary to emancipate women from their biological uh, situation. Uh, that the aesthetic wouldn't go away, what women are often associated with, but that the option is certainly there for people to do whatever they want, women to engage in either domain that they want. At least it's how I envision... Well, I mean, the, 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 the whole the whole idea of domain would be yeah, would be I, absence. I, I agree. Like yeah. there would there'd be no such thing as the there'd be no such thing as the technological. There'd be no such thing as the aesthetic. Sure. It would yeah. just be human, which is <laughs> you just do, you're just doing, which is part of the whole kind of like a Marxist dialectic. You reach a point where anything you do is you know human. And like you, you can have a, like a you know an argument about how that's based on a sort of humanist reification, but um, that's essentially what Firestone is moving towards. I think of uh, fulfillment of where culture has been moving towards. I guess I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a there is a but 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 it is like um, a dialectical development that takes into account like the difference between the sexes and to a certain extent is limited to a point. It takes race into account. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I mean, like uh, there are other people who are writing at the same time as Firestone who aren't writing on racism. I mean, that's that's one thing to commend her for. But I mean, now that we're sort of like living in 2019, we can go to other people for critical race analysis, I guess. But at, at the time, it was one of the things that were over, was overlooked. Yeah, and. One of the things I like, and this really comes out right at the very end, is that she didn't shy away from sketching what that world would look like. Whereas I think for some people, you know, it's about being as vague as possible mm. to kind of um, assuage the possible criticisms that would come, you know, to which you could say, yeah. like, I did, you know, it's up in the air, like, it'd be whatever it wants. Yeah, no, what, what we need are collective solutions. Yeah, um, exactly. That's yeah. what I've answered. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I really like. Uh, and, you know, to reiterate, and she takes the last part of the book to kind of give us a, mm -hmm. a general summary of what was going on here, uh, how, like, the big project of science is to emancipate women from their biology, mm -hmm. uh, to make women and children financially independent for her, uh, to integrate women and children into society, and then finally, uh, sexual freedom for women and children. Uh, so these things come out in, or can be, realized in her formulation in a few in a few ways so allowed for single professions mm -hmm. which was a, a weird example so she says that some of the examples are like where people could be what like cowboys and uh, like, monks jesters monk jesters <laughs> the the art of the single profession is gone and no no one any longer could be a jester and <laughs> I thought that was funny. I did. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't mind the, the, the jester life. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that, I think that's a pretty, 
and this really, for my own part, um, I'm a big fan of routine. And having like a single profession would be a pretty rock solid way, I think, for yeah. someone to, provided that profession wasn't, you know, done for 60 hours a week, right? Yeah. Uh, and that time was actually left for other things that were meaningful to that person. I think that'd be a pretty rock and roll way to go about doing things. Uh, so, you know, for that, I, I, I would agree. But at the same time, how do you possibly like, and she, she provides this other example. She's like, P children often by the age of nine know what they want to do, like what their hobbies are. And then that should streamline them into that profession. Like, they figured it out and what they figured out by the age of nine that should is what they should be they, they should do uh to which i'm like damn like what if you don't like your decision like <laughs> you need something else yeah but i mean i, I want to uh, so the cybernation as she calls it which is like cybernation yeah that's automation. important cybernation so I know there's a, there's ability for adaptation, for ability for change. I mean, like it must be flexible. That's one of the other conditions. Well, yes, yeah, so all of the different proposals. She's like the, the the main condition of these different forms of like expression or existence uh, are defined by flexibility. Like yeah. they can't be fixed. Like I have no illusion of them being the. Uh, the, the same thing now as they would be in the future. Um, so I, I, I think with single professions, um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if, 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 like once you abolish the idea of childhood, it's like, well, is it a sense of apprenticeship that you go into? I mean, like, I, I mean, like, like William Blake was trained as a mason and you know became a poet later in life like it, it's all you know expressive it's all like a, a visionary to a certain extent yeah um i'm ashamed that i didn't really think of a female example there but i mean that's <laughs> like just the consequence of like trying to choose examples from the past um So there, are, there, there is some changeability there within the single professions, but at the same time, I'm just like, well, what about like I don't know, like someone. I mean, actually, no. This this is a sort of misinterpret. This is a facetious misinterpretation, but it's like, what about like the office droid? You know, the person who goes to the nine and five every day. And then comes back to their own apartment, and it's like, well, well that's, a, that's a single profession. That's a way to live a life, right? Um, but it, 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 it's fundamentally unfulfilling because it is just um, yeah, they're limited to a uh, pretty limiting function, um, and, and and this moves on to like the, the the idea of living together of like what what is fundamentally different from. Uh, the way that people date and move in with one another nowadays. Or just have roommates, like, oh, yeah. just roommates. Well, and the households, yeah. Well, with households, it's slightly different because there is this blurring of the adult-child uh, uh, division. Right, yeah. All right, so that, okay, to lay this out, so we have three, 
there are three, right? Three different alternatives she lays yeah. out for the system. So there's the single profession that we kind of labored on there. Then there's living together. And then there's households. So living together corresponds to the crumbling. Well, it would it would destabilize the owning of property, I think, uh, as we traditionally understand it, and make the owning of property more of a communal thing, where people can come together to own a house, own a living uh, place. Yeah, a living place where you'd kill your landlord and uh, <laughs> and you live with other people like in this place um and when i was reading it I, w I saw this living together and saw the way that she laid it out and i was like okay i was, I was on board i understand and then she presented well, that's the what you third. do ordinarily like, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm on, yeah i'm i am living the uh sexual revolution right now yeah uh, and then okay so then she introduced this third one households and i saw it and i was like wait what the hell <laughs> like i thought i thought this was covered yeah. with living together but households is a lot more complicated in that she says that it's people living together for an unspecified amount of time. And in many cases, it would be uh, a situation where people, um, I, was, I, was, I was about to say cultivate children, uh, but they raise children together. The word alluded. I, and it's not necessarily linked to the people who, you know, Birth them. Birth the children, I guess, yeah. It becomes a communal thing where um, the idea of parenting being associated with biology, that is the people who gave birth to the child, uh, wouldn't have that kind of transcendent attachment to them. It would instead be kind of diffused, be uh, divided amongst all the people in that household. Mm -hmm. And she has all these kind of interesting... Um, parameters for this situation where she says that the household like people can apply for contracts to oh, the yeah, household limited, contracts, limited yeah. contracts for the household for like 10 years yeah yeah i mean it's like, like an undetermined number uh, years yeah <laughs> and people would do their chores altogether like a uh, what's it called um communal living house a commune yeah it's a commune andrew Thank you. <laughs> Jesus, what the fuck is wrong with me? Uh, the, the children wouldn't be raised by any uh, one specific couple. A couple be raised by everyone. Uh, city planning would be greatly overhauled. Like if we were to, in, to introduce the system, obviously the way that cities were organized, cities were structured would uh, change, and the economy as well, and then activity would obviously would obviously change. Um, but what I like about this, even though it'd be so easy for us to poke holes into this and say, yeah. you know, this is ridiculous, this wouldn't work. Like, well, she anticipates that she's like, yeah, or it's all unrealistic. Well, that, and that's it, and that's why that's why I like her, uh, because she says that at the beginning of the conclusion. She's like, yeah. I'm gonna do what I have to do. That is, lay it out. Otherwise, I'm gonna be charged with, you know, some kind of um, willy nilly. Uh, fairy dust type pie in the sky no. uh, theorization or philosophization that doesn't actually get us anywhere, uh, which is what I really appreciate about her. Um, but yeah, what do you what do you, what do you think about? Because I hear that the same sentiments being echoed by current like kind of quote unquote communist thinkers that are saying like you know communal action is something that can exist 
even in this world like it's, it doesn't demand total political overhaul you know people existing in communes right now people having fucking gardens together some people consider mm-hmm. it to be like communist actions um so this doesn't seem totally outlandish to me even though i don't necessarily agree with what the kind of benefit it would offer um i don't see this as being totally out of this world for my own part nor do i i mean i think that one aspect of it i i do um have sympathy for is the um The element about, you know, well, one is city planning. Uh, <laughs> As we hear trying, the police, you yeah. hear the police? Or it's probably an ambulance, actually. Uh, yeah, well, police or ambulance, they're all fascists. Um, <laughs> people who try to save your life are fascists. No, I'm joking. I do, I, Fuckers. I do, I do appreciate medical services. Um, no, for, 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 I think decisions about medical planning, uh, medical city planning, um, could be directed towards you know forms of communal living, and I think that there is this this enormous uh, patronizing weight on people who are children or considered children of uh, not being able to determine themselves economically or politically or uh, personally and being able to form like friendships with uh, people who aren't their own parents or like form their own independent ideas I think there is something about the institution of the child that, that is inherently repressive um Right, because that would get at not only the divide or the kind of uh, romanticized relationship between parent or biological parent right. and child, but also between um, adult uh, d- adult and children, where, as we were kind of griping over uh, how education is conducted these days, mm-hmm. um, what this situation would offer would be an opportunity for children to be in proximity with potentially more adults than children, mm-hmm. which would catalyze, I think, to some extent, mm-hmm. their growth, which I think would be an interesting, uh, would present interesting possibilities for those children that would mm-hmm. otherwise be foreclosed to them. Like, imagine the feats civilization could reach if it didn't spend, it didn't force their children to spend the first fucking 18 years of their life spent with other people that are just like, don't know about the world yeah. uh, maybe that's fascist I don't know well no I, 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 I think it is just like I remember that I just didn't enjoy school until about 17 and it's largely the point at which actually, I, no, 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 I liked no. it because I fucking I played sports that was fun <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time. I didn't learn anything. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think the only times I enjoyed school was when adults took me seriously. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, or, like, considered me as uh, some kind of peer or someone who was able to, 
to understand things by myself yeah rather than being seen as like an inferior or some sort of like charge uh, I guess yeah um, and that's one one thing that could be totally overhauled and I mean it would I don't know. I mean, we would change the way that we would conceive of um, childbearing and childbearing, obviously, because we would no longer see it as um, a necessary consummation of a human romantic relationship or uh, a natural inevitability. Nor would we see a child as the exclusive responsibility of the people who created it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, strangely enough, although it is a work of feminist theory, it is more about children than it is about women. Yeah, yeah. And it's about how fucked up it is to uh, bring more people into a society that is, well, I mean, for one, fundamentally oppressive towards women, but also, like, fundamentally repressive towards men. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's also dependent on race, and as we've discussed, it's dependent on, like, the nation or geographical area you're born into, um, but if it, it, it does come down to of like, well, how do we like figure out ways to uh, live together um, when it comes to like facts about like difference of age or like differences of biology? And I think Firestone puts like a a couple of decent suggestions forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, maybe it's time to try them. Damn, that's a good place to close off, I think. I don't know. You got uh, anything else? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, I've, I've learned a couple of folk songs. I mean, I could <laughs> sing them to write a sound. We, we uh, should. No, we, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say for this one, but at some point. It's it's true. Andrew Andrew's got some good tunes. I've heard them. Uh, we, we yeah, we should do one. We play guitar sometime. That'd be uh, fun. Indeed. Um, all right. Well, shit. For okay. Well, th- there we go. For those that listen this far, uh, thank you. Uh, well, for those who listened this far, get a life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but, but because we sure don't. In fact, get a job. <laughs> Get, get. Well, neither do we. I mean, that's, that's yeah, a good we, point. Yeah, yeah. Like I said we're grad students. We don't have, we don't we don't do anything. No. Um, but yeah, for those that did listen this far. Yeah, thank you very much. If, it, it, it's it's it, it's always fun to have people along for the ride. And if you have any problems with what we said, or enjoy what we did, you know how to comment. Uh, I don't care if you subscribe. Uh, do whatever you want. Yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be nice to hear from you, definitely. Yeah, that's what that's what's important for us. Um, but anyways, take care. See you next time. Whenever that happens.